Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 121. This is more than a simple poke. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Spencer as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and first of all, I saw your Skype ID name, I love it, Spencer the Fencer. <laughs> yes, uh, ever since I started fencing, it's been impossible for me to get away from that nickname. Everyone I know just all of a sudden one day is like, has anyone ever called you Spencer the Fencer? And I say, yes, they have. Everyone figures it out at some point. And I bet you some people are like, did you go into fencing because your name is Spencer? Like Spencer the Sp- Fencer? I, I Not consciously. It might have been an unconscious <laughs> thing because I wasn't the only Spencer in the club that I was in. So maybe it's just a thing. We're just drawn to it. Maybe you were Spencer the better fencer <laughs> compared, <laughs> compared to the other one. I'm not saying the other one was bad. I don't know the other one, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Yes. But today we're going to be talking all about fencing, the Spencer, the fencer, defender, fencer. (laughs) I'm doing wordplay right now. It doesn't make sense. But yes, today we're all going to be talking about fencing. But before we do that, who is, uh, I was going to say fencer, Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, I'm 22, just got out of college. Um, I've done, I did fencing from basically the beginning of high school. I did it competitively for a while. But yeah, I'm uh, graduated with a psychology degree, nothing to do with fencing. Uh, I haven't been able to fence as much as I've wanted to recently, but I still retain, you know, quite a love for the sport. And I'm sure it, once you're going to get back into it, it's going to be a muscle memory. You're going to just know what to do or maybe not. And you're just have to relearn. But I'm sure, you know, you're Spencer, the best fencer. So yeah, it's yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't lose that unless you'd lose your arm. But I would imagine I'm getting really dark right now. I don't know why. Let's go back okay. to something I'm- more positive. And on mm-hmm. that note, where can people find you online, whether you have social media, a project, a website that you'd love to share? Um, I don't have anything to share at the moment. Uh, maybe in the future that I am I have some projects and stuff in the works. Nothing really fencing related. Um, if you want to check out where I'm going to be fencing in the near future, as soon as it opens back up, uh, the Chattanooga Fencing Club is a great place to come. Uh, whether you want to learn fencing or you've been doing it for a while or you used to do it and want to get back into it. That's my story. I've gone there a couple of times. I uh, really like the people there. And as soon as, um, you know, as soon as groups start gathering together again, uh, I'm going to be going back there. So check out the Chattanooga Fencing Club uh, if you happen to be in the area. That's perfect. And the area is everywhere around the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, wherever you are, if you're within driving distance or flying distance from Chattanooga, you know, just uh, come find us. Perfect, perfect. I'll put that information in the description below so people can go find that and say, "Hey, I'm looking for F- Spencer the Fencer." It's like, "Yep, that's me." Mm-hmm. You must have yeah, talked to that. My name. You must have talked to that bald guy named Alex. Yeah, he's chatty. <laughs> he's really chatty. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, today we're just going to jump right into it. So, how did you actually get introduced to fencing? So it was pretty much by accident. I wasn't very athletic as a child, um, but one of my friends was taking a fencing class and I thought, sure, I I like swords. I've always wanted to hit people with swords. What could be the harm in it? Uh, So I just tagged along for the class and realized after going to a couple classes that I loved it and didn't want to quit from there. So I uh, really the all the credit goes to my coach. His name was Chris and he was the best coach I've ever had by leaps and bounds. Uh, He made it really easy to get into. Uh, He was technically brilliant, really good at it himself and a really natural born teacher. So he encouraged me to keep going, always had like a great constructive criticism for me. And he helped me fall in love with the sport. And so you said you always enjoyed hitting people with swords. Did you, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to jump back on that. Did lightsabers come into play at any point? Uh, Often, often. (laughs) So uh, family background plays a lot into that. I was the younger of two brothers. So there were two of us, 
both boys, of course, we found anything that looked even kind of like a sword and decided to have uh, fights and duels and stuff with those. And so do your brothers as well, Fence? No, no. I was the only one in my family who uh, took it up. No, I managed to get a couple of my friends into it, but they didn't really stick with it. So, um, you know, it's not for everybody. But yeah, I'm the only one in my family, at least, who's done a lot of fencing. And if I understand correctly, fencing is not just one sport. There's different types of fencing. There's some that are used with sabers, foil, and épée, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what are the key differences between all of those three? Uh, so a lot of the basics are the same. So the fencing stance, so the, the footwork, a lot of the movements with the body are going to be the same. But there are significant differences between those three weapons. So that's the only difference. Saber, foil, and epee are just three different kinds of swords. Uh, saber was what I've done the most. I've done all three, uh, but I did significantly more saber in my life. Uh, saber is the only cutting weapon, so you can hit with the entire length of the blade. So you think of the difference between a slash with a sword, a cut, or a thrust. So with a foil and an epee, they're just thrusting weapons. So in those uh, in those weapons, you exclusively hit with the tip of the weapon. Whereas with the saber, you can hit with the tip, but it's much more common to hit with the cutting edge of the blade. Foil is a little bit lighter. It was originally a training weapon, so it's uh, a little lighter, a little shorter than an epee, and was developed to be used specifically in duels. Whereas an epee is a little heavier. Um, it has uh, a bigger guard and is, um, yeah, that, I mean, I prefer Epe a little bit. <laughs> so actually speaking of which, did they, did they all come around the same time or was there one that came first and then the other ones followed as in, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking more about the historic, the history of it. I know a little bit about the history. I'm not a personal expert cause I've never done uh, historical fencing. I know there's a lot of people who do, um, sword fighting, specifically historical sword fighting. That was never my thing. I know the saber came about in, I believe, the 16th century. It was originally a cavalry weapon, so it was designed to be thin, light, easy to use, and have a lot of force behind it. So coming at someone on horseback with the, the blade to uh, do a lot more damage. Like I said, the foil was developed specifically for training and dueling. So I believe that was in France in the uh, 17th or 18th century, um, but I'm not exactly sure on that. And the epe, I don't know. I should learn more about how the epe came about. <laughs> it just fall, it fell into somebody's hand. They're like, hey, let's do it. Epe. <laughs> I'm guessing it's in France because it's French. That's that's my best guess. <laughs> it's a very French sounding word. So that's a good guess. Yes. So French is my first language. So I'm, there's there's my key point. That's all I know so far about fencing. Epe is French. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, yes. You're the expert. So I'm asking you all these questions. Mm -hmm. And so for you, what would you say is the best part about fencing on a personal and an emotional level? It's talking to you talk to a lot of people about their hobbies. So I'm sure people have brought up the feeling of like getting lost in a flow state or getting lost in what they're doing. Um, that's the best thing for me is getting lost in the uh, the strategy, getting lost in the tactics of about whenever you're on the strip and you're fencing and just losing the whole the whole rest of the world goes away. And you all it is, is you pushing yourself to your physical and uh, like mental, your logical limits. Uh, trying to beat the other person that's it's a really good feeling and coming out on the other side of it um it's it's a lot of fun to just get lost in the sport does it usually take you a long time to get in the zone or like the moment you put on the equipment and get on let's say the uh, the mat or the area to do fencing you're just like boom you're automatically in the zone it depends if i am just fencing for fun it's pretty easy to get into um i can it, there's not a lot of pressure Whenever I used to compete, um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get into the competitive mindset because there's extra pressure. There's more eyes on you. 
it's usually in an unfamiliar environment. So I'm sure anyone who's done competitive sports can tell you it can take a lot. It's really easy to get shaken up. It's really easy to um, be caught cold, to have a bad day. So whenever I used to travel and compete a lot, I would have to have a pretty strict uh, routine for getting myself ready. So whenever I did get up on the strip, I was warmed up. I was ready to go. I was in the right mindset to be able to compete well. And did you have any music you listened to beforehand to get you in that mindset or are you just... <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I used to get a lot of mileage out of Imagine Dragons and uh, Fall Out Boy uh, before <laughs> before my uh, tournaments. But that was that was a long time ago whenever they were big. That's awesome. I love how you have your key songs. You're like, you know what? These are the songs that are going to get me. And would you say on that note, are you superstitious or not very superstitious? In that realm, not a bit, not a bit. It was just whatever worked. The uh, the repetition of it, having like a go to song, like you said, was all it was for me. Never had any like lucky socks or lucky blades or anything. So uh, Fallout Boy, uh, if you're listening, uh, I'm sure Spencer would love you to come participate in one of his uh, fencing duels and then just do a live concert. <laughs> that would be epic. I feel like you'd just get distracted by the whole song. Oh my just... goodness, yeah. I would have a hard time concentrating there. And, you know, to concentrate, you have to do certain things to be a better player. I would say player, better fighter. So for you, what would you say is your strongest quality? Is it agility, speed, technique, uh, strength? I think the thing that um, fencers in general uh, need the most of is the agility. So explosive speed. So being able to accelerate very quickly, being able to make very fast movements over a short amount of time. So the way that fencing works for your for any listeners who um, aren't very familiar with it is that um, you pause after every touch, every time you score a point on your opponent, every time, you know, uh, then the referee will stop the bout and then award that point to one person or the other. So it's very stop and go more football and less, you know, long distance running. So you need very fast bursts of speed, very fast movement and very agile, like quick changing of direction, that kind of thing. Uh, less of more anaerobic and less aerobic. So agility is the most important thing behind that is going to be uh, balance. So technique is built on really good balance and that plays into your ability to move quickly with good technique and to change directions fast. So I would say that first agility, then balance are going to be the, the strongest points that I've built up over my time fencing. And you were talking about like how it just takes one touch and then you move back. It's like a, you take a little pause in between every touch. Has it ever happened to you that there was a faulty touch, like something like wrong in the system that didn't touch or a touch didn't register for you? Yes. Yes. That's something that's difficult to avoid. I'm going to take, take you back to the history of fencing a little bit. So fencing, competitive fencing as it is now started around 1900, whenever the Olympics started back up. I'm trying to formalize the rules and make sure everyone kind of scored fencing in the same way. But the difficulty is because it moves so fast, you have to have a, a reliable way of figuring out, okay, who scored the touch on who? How do you know they score the touch? How do you keep track of it? At first, they had judges. So you had four judges standing on each in each corner of the strip where you fence. And they would just say, hey, I saw that person get hit, which is fine. It worked pretty well. Uh, but they wanted some way to you know, prove when a touch was scored. So then they moved to ink. So you have the whoever's fencing wear totally white outfits, and then you put ink on the blade. So for an air foil, you just put it at the end. For a saber, you'd have to put it down the length of the cutting edge. And then you know, okay, whenever a touch is scored, you can clearly look on the person's jacket and see when the where the ink was. So you know, okay, 
uh, touch has definitely been scored here, which is fine, except you can hardly wear the, uh, the same jacket yeah. more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it was a good solution, but didn't not very sustainable. They moved to chalk briefly, where you put chalk on the weapon and then you have totally black outfits. But that was fine. Things lasted a little longer, but not the best. Over the last, I believe it's the last 20 years, maybe, they've been, um, they've developed electrical systems. So you run an electric current through the blade and then you wear a conductive material over where the target area is. So whenever you get dressed up for competitive fencing, you put on a, uh, a jacket essentially that's has it's a little bit metallic. So whenever you get touched on it, or whenever the the opponent's weapon makes contact with it, it'll complete the circuit and then a light will go off on the box. So the referee can see, okay, a light has been scored, a light's gone off for this person. That means a touch has been scored 100 percent And that's been it's a pretty good system. Uh it works very consistently. But every you're gonna have those technical issues. You're gonna have times whenever your weapon malfunctions when your opponent's stuff malfunctions and you're going to lose touches that way. And that's not really something you can get around, even though it works in most cases, there are always going to be problems with it. Are you allowed to dispute those? Let's say during one duel, it just kept on happening and you end up losing. Were you, are you able to dispute and then have a rematch or how would that work? Uh, if you're going to dispute, you dispute on the strip. So you like test and if the test works, so if I, thought I hit my opponent and the light didn't go off, then I can ask the referee to test their stuff. But if it works on the test, nothing really you can do. Fencing is kind of has a traditional style about it. And the word of the referee is law. So if the what the ref says is going to go, if you disagree with the ref, you can say something. But in the end, respect and you know, respect for the authority of the position is stressed pretty heavily in fencing. And uh, so another question I have for you was, how long does it usually take you during a duel to learn your opponent's moves and habits? Um, that was something that my coach stressed quite a bit. He said, you know, whenever you win a touch, whenever you score a touch on your opponent, that's good. Whenever you lose a touch, you've gotten something out of that. You get information out of them. So um, fencing is very mental. Some people have called it physical chess in the past. Because there's a huge amount of tactics. Um, everybody has patterns. Everybody has um, go-to things they try to do. So you might have an opponent who will always try to make your attack miss. So like try to make you miss and then hit you first. You might have opponents who are very heavily offensive. So always going to try to touch you as soon as possible. So it is important to learn the, what their habits are. So he's my coach stressed within the first three touches, you should have enough information about your opponent to have a plan essentially so after you've seen a few things that your opponent does after you've scored a couple touches or lost a couple touches you should know what your what the go-to actions of your opponent are going to be has it ever happened to you like during a duel like your traditional moves the moves you're comfortable with did not work and you tried to be a little more adventurous and try a new move that is completely new to you or not completely new but you're just not comfortable with but it ended up working out for you yes absolutely Especially in Sabre, it's encouraged to attack. So being putting pressure on your opponent, being always ready to attack them, ready to push them down the strip and hit them, that's encouraged. Um, but in a couple of bouts, I've figured out that my opponent is very, um, especially if they're stressed out, if you know your opponent's stressed, you can just let them attack you. You can take the pressure off of them, let them fail first, which is very counterintuitive for someone who's been fencing for a while. Usually it's just like you have to go, you have to push, you have to take the initiative. 
But sometimes you have to take a step back and let your opponent fail first in order to hit them. So I've had to do that in some bouts. And also, do you look straight into your opponent's eyes while you're having in the middle of a fight or you're looking at their body? Like, What's your intimidation tactic if you have one? <laughs> the, the best intimidation tactic is to be stone cold, steely, and unemotional. Uh, never look at them, only like stay in the zone so they think you're some kind of fencing god. <laughs> at least that's that's what I always tried. I don't know why, but for me, I imagine if I were to do it, I'd just put on like a crazy smile like during the whole fight and throw them off completely. <laughs> Have you, if you Google pictures, you know, the, the fencing mask, whenever you're wearing the mask, you can't see your opponent's face, which kind of gives it a, I don't know, maybe makes fencers look a little more intimidating because you can't actually see what their expression is. So, um, unfortunately you don't have that option. See, I was looking at the picture before, like I, was, I have the picture up right now. I was like, okay, can you see through? I wasn't sure. And I see some people, certain people you can't see through the mask, but I'm guessing that's because of flash or I, I don't know, but you know what? It makes a lot more sense that you can't see the face. And I, I think I would imagine it's pretty, I wouldn't say legal, but to put like a design on the mask to throw your opponent off. I, I thought it would be. Um, if you watch the Olympics, a lot of people have their country's flag across the front of the mask. So like uh, colored on it. So it, I feel like theoretically it's legal. It might be just country flags. But um, if you can do that, then I imagine you could uh, if you had enough money and time or if you just really cared about it, then you could probably put something on your mask. I just saw a picture right now of a bunch of countries on the, the face mask. And it looks pretty cool. It looks like part of like the Power Rangers or something like that. I'm just... It's a whole team of different countries. That's awesome. Would you want that? Um, if I could afford it, sure. <laughs> so people listening, uh, you know, uh, Spencer won't mind if you donate uh, a mask with his country's flag on it, right? It's just there. Yeah, I would not. <laughs> a good old American flag mask. I won't turn that down. Or a flag from a different country. I'm open-minded. Um, I'll rep your country if you send me the mask. For half a second, I just imagine you have other like heads as if like these are the victims. <laughs> these are the ones I defeated. These are their heads. I've got Canada. I've got, uh, I don't know. <laughs> just have a bunch of like a shelf. Yeah, they're mounted on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I'm giving ideas to fences right now. It's like, yes, I'm going to defeat a fencer and just take their head. But not the real head, the, the fencing helmet. <laughs> People do kind of collect trophies if they've been fencing for a while, but it's usually broken blades. Ooh. So one of, the, one of the cool things that happens when you're fencing is if you get a particularly – if you hit it in just the right way, you can snap off the blade. So like at the – right at the hilt, sometimes they shear off there. Sometimes you break it right down the middle of the blade. So I have a nice little collection of uh, half blades and the, the tips of blades in my bag. So I could remember all the cool ways I broke them. And when you're saying broke them, are you talking about your own blade or the opponent's blade? Uh, both. It uh, depends on how hard you get hit. depends on how hard you hit theirs. I've done – usually it's your own blade that you break, but I have uh, technically cut through someone's sword before. Wow. That must have been such a like surreal experience like, whoa. So hold on. You broke their blade and they're just like, here, take it. Or you're like, whoops. Oh, you didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Yeah, they've given me uh, some of the shattered pieces of blades before. Well, that's that's really cool. Uh, oh, that's an awesome collection. Soon enough, you'll have enough to make a new blade. <laughs> yeah, that's why I need to take out blacksmithing and save me some money. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Like, this is the blade for my enemies. All of them. <laughs> I'm getting really dark with these. Like, you have the head, you have the blade. Next, you have piece of, pieces of equipment. No, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, but yes, back to the actual relevant questions. How often do you go fencing? That has, it's varied a lot over the years. Uh, when I was in high school, I would go uh, between two and three times a week, do fencing classes and lessons one day. 
I do just open fencing around with people in my club, just get in as many bouts as possible. And then often, so a couple of times a month, go to tournaments and compete there. In college, it dropped off quite a bit because I went to a university that didn't have a fencing team. I really wish I had had that opportunity. But I still did some fencing. Uh, I took as much of my equipment as I could and taught some of my friends. So I taught them the basic steps, taught them the blade position, taught them the rules of the sport, uh, just so, just for fun. It was a cool thing that we could do together. Uh, and then since graduating from college, I've been going to the uh, a fencing club, a local fencing club, a couple of times, being an adult, having less free time, more like once a week. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then it seems like you found your groove on how you do it. Like college can be more like focus on studies and then everything's getting in the way. And as an adult, as you get older, responsibilities apparently adults have. <laughs> but it's cool that you still find time for your hobby. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a popular term or a very common term used in fencing called the right of way. Mind explaining what that means? Right of way is probably the most difficult concept to people coming into fencing, which is why if you're intimidated by it, go into Epe. In Epe, there is no right of way. So uh, the right of way is a way to determine if both people score. So if I hit, if I touch you, if we're in a bout, I touch you with my sword, I get the point, obviously. But in a situation where we both hit each other, then the referee has to determine uh, who gets the point for that. Um, and that's determined by right of way. Right of way is determined in slightly different ways in saber and in foil. Uh, but the the basis of it is whoever was attacking, whoever had momentum behind their attack, which makes sense. So uh, like I said, the saber goes back to um, the 16th century when it was originally a mounted weapon. So if I'm on horseback, I'm riding towards you at full force and I swing my sword at you and you're just standing there or maybe even moving backwards and you put your sword out and hit me. One of us is going to die, but it's not going to be me. Like my attack is going to have a lot more force behind it, a lot more momentum. So that concept was transferred into modern fencing. The person who is moving forward, the person who has taken the initiative and is going in on the attack, um, if both people hit, then the person with the attack going is going to get the touch. So if the bout starts and we both take a step in, but then you take a step back and I take several steps towards you and we both hit, then the referee is going to say, okay, Spencer had the attack. He, he took the initiative, he was moving forwards, therefore he's going to get this touch. So that's the essence of right-of-way. There's some nuances to it of determining who has the attack and ways to lose the right-of-way. For example, if I miss or if you parry me, so if I'm coming in, you block my attack and then we both hit, that means that I've lost the right-of-way and it goes to my opponent then. No, I could be incorrect on the duration of how long an actual duel lasts, but for you, what was the longest duel, if there is no time limit? The average touch is going to last 15 seconds, maybe, maybe less, maybe 10 seconds. So there's a limit on whatever the, the in the particular duel you're in. Usually you go to 15 points. Um, those don't last any longer than like nine minutes of actual fencing time, not counting the breaks. The breaks don't count towards the, the timer that they have going. Um, but each individual touch during that is going to be 10 seconds at max. You might have you might go for 40, 45 seconds, something like that. If you're going back and forth down the strip, missing your attacks or getting parried. And then sometimes there's a little more back and forth. But usually it's not going to be that long. And I'm sure after like a good 15 seconds, 30 seconds, you're like, all right, I know what he's going to do. And then or she or they they're going to do and you just learn their moveset, which is. It's all, it's a learning curve for every duel. And actually speaking of which, do you have, this is an odd question asking this, but do you have an arch nemesis or had an arch nemesis in, in fencing? 
I, I still have an arch nemesis. We haven't <laughs> been able to. Yeah, definitely. It Ironically, it was not the other Spencer in the club. It was someone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, a re- great friend of mine, still a great friend, love him to death. But we would go back and forth. We were always the we weren't the best people in the club. But we were close and we were usually similar in skill. So we would meet all the time at tournaments. We would uh, knock each other out, essentially, in semifinals or in finals. We would go up against each other. So, uh, yeah, I've had I've had a, at least one arch nemesis along over the years. I could just imagine you two before the duel, you just staring into, into each other's eyes like, you're going down. I'm taking you down with me. And then after like, burgers? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I, it was a great time. It was <laughs> the best part of fencing is because it is so stressful and intense at competitions, because it, there is so much pressure to perform, because there is because it's just difficult and it takes a lot out of you. Once you've done that with someone on a team, friendship comes naturally. So all the time that's during practice or just hanging out, make some of the best friends in the world. And I bet you you guys feed off of each other's energy and just inspire each other to keep getting better and better. So on that note, do you have any other inspirations in the fencing world? One of the best ways to get good at fencing is watching people who are very, very good at it. So if you watch some of the Olympic fencers, um, it's insane. Like they're some of the fastest moving athletes in the world in terms of explosive energy, in terms of how quickly they can move their weapons, incredibly fast movement. So if you want to watch um, some of the best bouts, America isn't the best at saber. We're good at a lot and we're getting better. Um, but the USA's team traditionally hasn't been terribly good. Uh, if you want to watch some really exciting teams, uh, watch the Italian national team, the French national team. The Korean national team is really good. Um, if you want to watch some of the the South Korean fencers, they're they're incredible. So watching some Olympic fencers go at it is really good inspiration for me to get better. Well, that's wonderful news because my wife is South Korean. So after this, she's like, yep, yep, South Koreans are good. Yep. That and archery, <laughs> which I have another interview today about archery or not today, but this oh, week. Okay. So yeah. But anyways, it's not about different countries. It's all about you, Spencer. We got to keep focus on you. You're the the main spotlight. I can't even formulate a sentence correctly. You are the man (laughs) of the hour. There you go. And for you, what would you say was your biggest challenge when you first started fencing? I was in very bad shape when I started fencing. I'm not a natural athlete. I'm a nerd through and through. I'm a geek. I am. I, I was never a very athletic kid. So getting into fencing and having to develop, you know, develop the muscle memory, develop the speed, develop the stamina, develop just the the physical demands that it took was the first thing that was in my way. Um, so that was that was trouble for a while, which is great. I'm glad I found fencing because it was the thing that it made me a lot more of an athlete than I would have been otherwise. Um, past that, I, I always ran into mental blocks of beating myself up a lot whenever I failed. Like I said, there's it's high pressure. It's quick. It's over and done. You can lose about in minutes and then you have hours for the rest of the tournament to think about what you could have done differently. So I think that it really helps you develop that competitive psychology, being able to lose well, being able to give yourself grace after you've lost. I had to work through those kind of mental blocks of beating myself up too much or second guessing myself and, you know, getting really down in the dumps whenever I lost. And especially in a type of sport where everything ends in an instant, second guessing can be a little factor that can win you, win you the duel or lose the duel. No, you don't try to think too much while you're dueling, correct? It's more of like just reflex and knowing right before the fight and then going with that. Is that correct or am I wrong? Yes, it's mostly that. I think with any sport, um, overthinking can be your biggest problem. 
the key in fencing is to center yourself right before the touch starts. Whenever the referee says fencer's ready and is you're just about to go at it, you have to be totally calm, ready to go. The time in between touches is when you plan. Whenever you think, okay, what worked and what didn't in that touch, and you you internalize that, and then you turn and then you shut it off. Because if you're thinking strategy during the touch, then you're going to get distracted. You're taken out of the moment, and you aren't able to actually you know be in the moment and take the opportunities you need to while you're fencing. Yeah, you can't just say time out. Let me think about my next move. All right, now we keep <laughs> going. That, that's not acceptable. <laughs> right. Right. And for you, what is your current biggest challenge? Probably branching out. Um, at the current club I'm at, uh, there's a lot more people who do foil and epe, which, as I said, I've done a lot more saber. That was exclusively what I competed in. And most of my friends who I fenced with only did saber. So right now I'm learning some of the differences in technique, the differences in strategy for fencing the other weapons so I can be more well-rounded so I can enjoy fencing with people who don't share the same weapon that I do. And that's, <laughs> I have to unlearn a couple of habits um, that come with being a saber fencer. Old habits die hard, right? Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And in terms of learning new stuff, it can be pretty stressful. So on that note, has fencing ever stressed you out? Uh, 100%. Yes, it has. The, the stereotype of coaches is a lot of Russian coaches, which get really good results and like to yell at their fencers. So I, it's a matter of opinion whether you like those coaches, but that's what most coaches are like, demanding a lot of performance out of their the fencers that they have, um, getting angry uh, during bouts, and a lot of fencers will expect a lot of themselves and, like I said, beat themselves up for what they could have done. Thankfully, my coach wasn't that way. He took a lot of the stress out of fencing by focusing on technique, by focusing on improvement, by focusing on having a good time, while at the same time, you know, teaching us really good fencing. But still, um, there's a lot of pre-tournament jitters um, that I had to get out. There's a lot of, um, like I said, dealing with those mental blocks and dealing with the stress of what if I look bad in front of my friends? What if I'm not good enough for myself? I think the longer I fenced, the less stressed I was because I could really enjoy and really be in the moment more. Um, really just enjoy the sport for its own sake rather than feeling like I had something to prove. And what was your go-to de-stressor when you were completely stressed during a fencing duel or a battle or before and after? Take some time to uh, straighten your sword. So one of the things that happens during fencing is uh, if you hit someone the wrong way, your sword can get bent because the, the metal in them is very flexible. Uh, so you raise your hand to the ref, say, I need to straighten my blade. You straighten it while you're like talking yourself down off the ledge. And then you recenter and you're ready to go after that. So just giving yourself a tiny break to take the pressure off yourself, to give yourself an affirmation, and then to settle back into it is really useful. Is there a tool to make it straight or do you have to just eyeball it? Oh, yeah, eyeball it. Yeah. You like put it under your foot and straighten it out or you just use your hand to bend it around. They're really cool. They're, they make some blades that are incredibly flexible. But that's a two, two-edged sword because then you have to fix it more often. And I would imagine after you've been in a certain amount of times, eventually that's what breaks. That's one, of the, <laughs> that's one of the things that contributes to them breaking pretty quickly. And one of the most important questions I always enjoy asking on every episode because it's very important for the whole principle of this podcast, what are some misconceptions about people who do fencing? That's a good question. One of the things, it's different in different countries. So fencing traditionally hasn't been very popular in the United States. So in the USA... People fence. There's tournaments all over the place, but it's not nearly as popular as other sports. So 
most of the people who I'd say, hey, I do fencing, have never met someone who fenced. Or if they have, they've met a handful of people, um, certainly haven't fenced themselves. I have two, maybe three friends um, who had done fencing outside of my club. It's different in other countries. I know it's more popular in Europe. Uh, there's a lot more European teams and people who uh, will do it over there. So I don't know. There's not people don't get a whole lot of misconceptions about fencing where I'm from because they haven't met a lot of fencers. I think one of the things is um, maybe only uh, only nerds do fencing. There's a there's kind of an equal pull from people who are athletic and want to try a different sport and people who have a fantasy, you know, people who love medieval stories or people who love swordplay for its historical uh, significance. So fencing definitely pulls from both groups equally. I've always admired fencers for because I actually tried it once back for a summer camp. Sorry, sorry, summer camp. And their hand-eye coordination, the ability to just react and the agility of it. I'm like, wow. That's like, mm-hmm. oh, as a kid, I'm like, that's light speed. And they're like, what? That's not light speed, Alex. That's, that's far from light speed, but it is pretty quick, but it's not light speed. And I'm like, as a kid, it's like, wow, that's so fast. Like, it takes me time to register. Like, what just happened? Thank goodness YouTube has that slow speed. So you can just make things a lot slower. <laughs> that makes it a lot easier. It's it's wild. Whenever you go, whenever you see someone who is of a much higher level, someone who's been fencing for years, someone who has put in a lot of time training, there's a clear difference. They're so much faster, very difficult to follow for someone who hasn't fenced very long. But it's doable. Um, by the time I has had only fenced for a few years, I was able to keep up with people. So as long as you can keep up, from there, it's all mental. So all the things you see that look like speed past a particular point is just reacting faster. It's You've seen it so many times, you're already doing the right thing. And that's why you're ahead of your opponent. I could just imagine you in, let's say, in your kitchen, something falls, you already have the reflexes to catch it. Fencing was great for my reflexes. Um, they're not perfect, but they're way better than they used to be. Yeah, I'm like the idiot. Like I see something fall. My first reflex was to try to catch it with my foot or kick it. <laughs> I once, this is a stupid story, but I once saw a knife fall. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to stop with my foot. And then at the last second, I pulled it off. Like, wait, Alex, this is stupid. Don't try to catch a knife with a foot. So, yeah. So moving away from my stupidity with a knife, what has fencing taught you in life? Those two rhymed. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. What has fencing taught me in life? I think personally, um, fencing taught me to grow up. It was a lot of the first trips I took away from my family were fencing trips uh, to tournaments and stuff. It helped me see more of the country I live in. So traveling to cities I'd never been to meeting people I wouldn't meet otherwise. It taught me discipline because if you if you slack off on training, if you slack off during bouts, if you slack off at any time, then everyone's going to pass you by. So I think that most of the same things that you'd learn from any sport, the importance of perseverance, the ability to push through pain, the importance of being able to center yourself and control your emotions whenever it's whenever something important is on the line. Um, I think so. those are some of the most important things think you could draw some like esoteric lessons of like, oh, fencing is life light like life because you have uh, this great obstacle, this opponent you have to overcome. But I've never heard a great analogy for like, you know, what fencing teaches you in the in the realm of life. It teaches you to be more patient, I guess, or read the situation better. <laughs> oh no, I'm not I'm not the guy to come up with the metaphor and analogies to try to connect. And I'm sure you're much better at that. So Maybe but after this episode's done, you'll be like, you know what? I just thought of one. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more important, like, instead of looking for those meta in general, don't just look for a metaphor for what you ought to be doing. Just do the thing. Do whatever's in front of you. Do 
difficult things, do things that stretch you, do things that push you. And then along the way, you'll naturally pick up the skills you need without having to go out of your way to like make a convoluted metaphor or philosophy of how fencing is supposed to improve your life. Yeah, just live in the moment because that's the best way of living. Now, a random thought, literally, this is the, probably a ridiculous question, but I'm full of them. Have you ever tried or would be interested in trying VR fencing? I have seen some VR fencing things. Of course, over the years, that's been the dream, right? From ever since Star Wars came out, everyone's dream was realistic lightsaber fights. And I've seen and played some of the like VR equivalent things that have come out. The new ones are very good. So um, what it was called, but I have played kind of a, a sword fighting simulator thing on some new VR technology that's come out in the last couple of years. And it feels very realistic. It's very one to one. It's very responsive. It would never hold a candle for me to real fencing. It doesn't feel real. Um, so I can appreciate it, but um, I don't appreciate it in the same way that I appreciate fencing. Yeah, there's something about the actual feeling of it too. will never be, never be replaced by technology. Sorry, no offense technology, but you know, the real thing has beautiful feeling to it. You know, just stabbing somebody and getting stabbed. It does sound weird saying that, but yes, <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> feeling. Yeah. I think the technology might be a good gateway to get people into it. They play a sword fighting simulator and like this feels so cool i want to do more and then all of a sudden you know fencing's there to take them a little bit further i think like most kids when they're growing up sword fighting whether it's with sticks is like a right of way fencing for me i feel like i'm connected to a very long history because it has been uh, so important for so long sword play being part of military history for thousands and thousands of years different disciplines of teaching sword fighting that idea of the master passing on his skills to the next generation uh, on and on in an unbroken line. That's a very attractive idea. So it's cool thinking, I'm just learning fencing now, but a lot of what I'm learning has been honed and worked on and practiced for thousands of years. And it's cool feeling that connection to people who are, you know, that old. And on the same train of thought, you know, traditions for fencing has been beautiful. It's cool that it's still active today and how it's traditional. But do you see, where do you see the future of fencing going? Like a change in technology or improvements? Like where could they improve, where they shouldn't try to improve? What do you think is the future of fencing? There, it is a continually developing sport. Like I said, the technology for the electronically scored touches is still relatively new. The, the International Fencing Associations, they've tried different rule sets throughout the years, uh, changing small things like where you start on the strip or change some of the rules about what right-of-way looks like um, to make bouts more interesting, to make them faster or slower, or to make them easier to watch. I think probably the next step in fencing is to make it more televised and more uh, accessible to the public. I think that fencing has a lot of potential as a spectator sport, getting people to come, you know, just come enjoy it. It's fun to watch, interesting to, to talk about. There's plenty to talk about there, like if you want to watch and comment on it. So I think that fencing has a ways to go there and has the potential to have a pretty good following um, socially and just in wider society. I think that people who do a lot of fencing are going to keep tweaking the rules. We probably won't get any major changes in the rules over the next five or 10 years, maybe 20 years, who knows. But I feel like they're going to continue to work on the rule set to make it fair, to make it interesting and to make it fun to watch. Yeah, making fair is especially important. And on that note, have you ever encountered a cheater? Um, probably. <laughs> yes. I 
I can't think of a specific situation. There are many times where politics comes into refing. So if you have referees coming from a particular club, then they might be biased towards members of that club. You can try to prevent it, but it's the kind of thing that you can never really prevent. My coach put it this way. You can lose a bout to three people. You can lose a bout to the referee, which means you did your best. And no matter what you were going to do, the ref was stacked against you. The ref made bad calls. The ref was biased. There's nothing you can do about that. So that's one way to lose. You can lose to your opponent. And that means you did your best. You fenced really, really well. You fenced the best you could. Your opponent was just flat out better than you. They were smarter. They were faster. They did. A, they fenced a better bout. The third way, and the one you can control, is losing to yourself. If you go onto the strip and you break down, you get in your own head, you are sloppy, you don't remember what you need to do, you don't recenter yourself, that's losing to yourself. And that's the one that you can control. So you can't fix the ref if the ref makes mistakes. You can't control how good your opponent is. But you can always keep coming back and fix the things that make you lose bouts to yourself. So basically what you're saying is the Murphy's Law does not apply. You should not be in that mindset of like, oh, I did something bad. It's just going to keep happening, keep happening. You can just no. change it by doing one little thing. It's like, all right, put, be in a more positive mindset, especially in fencing where it's a split second decision. Well, I don't know why I snapped my finger. But uh, yes, yeah, a split second decision and it's it only takes one second to make a big difference. Yes, absolutely. I think that I was looking back through your some of your episodes and I saw you had an episode with someone who did meditation. Um, for people who do competitive fencing, very common for them to do mindfulness meditation as well because it is a very good tool to be able to quickly center yourself to push out intruding thoughts to you know, move from being judgmental of how you're doing to just focusing on the moment, focusing on what you're actually experiencing. So that was a tool that I used a little bit whenever I was competing. Yeah, there you go. You're combining two hobbies. That's awesome. I love I love how people just do that. And they take one hobby and then combine with another one and make a whole brand new new one. Yeah. <laughs> I can just also imagine you meditating while fencing. I don't know how efficient that is. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> if you've mastered that, hey, then I, I would have to have you back for meditation fencing. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> there is, I don't know if you've ever covered this, but there is a sport called chess boxing where people play chess and then take a break from playing chess to go and beat the snot out of each other <laughs> and then come back. And you can win on a knockout or a checkmate. Oh, geez. I'd, I feel like I'd be falling onto the chessboard like after the first punch. Boom. And then I'd be like, all right, this. <laughs> and then checkmate. Like the, everything goes everywhere. Have you ever tried that? I haven't tried it. I've <laughs> never found people who'd be willing to do it with me, but I definitely would if I found a group that could. Watch like a heavyweight champion. It's like, all right, I want to do it with you, Spencer. He's like, oh, sure. Uh, okay. Maybe not anybody. <laughs> There's some people I'd have to turn down. Uh, and for people who are interested in fencing, not chess boxing, chess punching, chess, what was it? Chess. Chess boxing. Chess boxing. For people who are interested in chess, not, no, fencing. Yes. People interested in fencing, <laughs> do you have any word of advice for them? Just find a good club. Um, unfortunately, the club that I used to fence with in high school no longer meets. Um, it's a shame. It was the best club in the area. I would wholeheartedly recommend it, but no, no more. But yeah, look up to see if you have a local fencing club. Um, a lot of universities will do it, and they're usually pretty welcoming, inviting places if you just want to go to your local university or a local club. And yeah, um, just walk on. I'm sure plenty of people will be willing to show you the ropes to teach you a little bit. Um, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry. Uh, you have to make a little investment to buy, you know, the equipment. So you need a weapon, you need a jacket, you need a mask, you need a glove. So if you do want to fence, 
um, then you will have to put in just a little bit of money at the start. But in my experience, it's definitely worth it. And then you could always go look online. There's a lot of resources and things you can find. And you can even, uh, you know, listen to this podcast over and over and over again and learn more about <laughs> how fence or fence and just understand how did I say fence or fence? I meant Spencer fence. Oh, my goodness. Fence or fence. <laughs> <laughs> fence. Yes. How do you build up fences? Yes. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can go online, search all those interesting things. And you know, there's unlimited resources. And I'm sure there's a community around you that allows you to go fencing. And on that note, did you have any websites that you wanted to share where people can learn more about fencing, whether it's a subreddit or a website that just talks about the history of fencing or anything like that? Um, nothing comes to mind right away. I can, well, I can probably find some. I can dig some up for you. I have, there are places that sell fencing equipment. I don't know about, I haven't looked at the subreddit. I should probably find out if there's a fencing subreddit. Yeah. In other words, what Spencer is saying is that, guys, you're adults, you're kids, you're humans, go search online. <laughs> Google's relatively really easy to use. You just search for fencing. Boom. A hundred million sources come up. They're easy. <laughs> so I'll put all those 100 million sources in the description below. So uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll just put Google in the description below so you guys can go search yourself. But uh, yes, for the last question, it is the toughest question, the one I'm poorly prepared, but I'm always excited to answer. Do you have any questions for me about fencing? Are you are you motivated to go fence now? You gotta find are you you're gonna find a club, go fencing yourself? I if I have free time, I have a baby on the way, so it might be kind of challenging to uh, <laughs> find the free time, but I wouldn't mind giving it a try again and I know I will suck. And if I remember correctly, it gets pretty warm underneath the 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 mask. I sweat already enough. I'm sweating right now. My back is sweaty. This is way too much information for the listeners. Podcasts, <laughs> podcasting gets me sweaty. I don't know why. It's just I get so hyped up. <laughs> In my old fencing club, we used to have competitions to see who would sweat the most. <laughs> I always won. I'm the best at it. Wait, wait, hold up. Did you like just sweat and then have like a rag and then filled it up in a jar? Dude, <laughs> if your listeners want to know. Yes, we want to know. <laughs> no, uh, it was just how much of your uh, shirt was soaked by the end of practice. Oh, that's awesome. He's like, all right, we can see he's got at least 75% soakage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other Spencer has 72%. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly that. That was just about how it went. That's awesome. I love that. I love that like mini competition within fencing. It's like, if you lose the battle, you might win the sweat battle. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was very good at those battles. <laughs> well, what if I, uh, once I come in, you know, you had another challenger because I'll sweat before I even put everything on. It's just like, whoop, and then it oh, comes okay. on and becomes transparent and you see everything through, even though it's not a see-through material. It will become <laughs> see-through after I'm done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Spencer, for coming on and just, you know, expanding my mind about fencing. And I'm sorry for calling you Fencer, Spencer, just mixing those two words together. I... I'm truly sorry. I wanted to get your name right the first time. Hopefully I did. <laughs> you are far from the first person to do that. And am I far from the last? I hope not. I hope, I hope, no, I hope so. I hope I'm the last person. I hope that, why would I say I hope not? I'm sure it will continue <laughs> for many, many years. <laughs> well, yeah. So if you guys uh, want to learn more about fencing, go look online. There's a lot of resources. Google is a wonderful source. If not, Yahoo, Bing, or any other search engine will have a lot of stuff about fencing. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to show some support, you know, I accept reviews. 
Reviews are always good. And if you want to show even more support, I sell merchandise on Redbubble with the Time for Your Hobby logo on random things you don't need, but it's there. And I also have a Patreon if you're interested in that as well. Once again, this is all optional. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But this is basically everything on the internet. You don't have to do anything on the internet if you don't want to. But this is just another thing you don't need to do that's on the list. So once again, thank you so much, Spencer. Thank you for having me on. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>